favorite letters that he had come across uh, that children had written to Santa Claus. One of the letters read this way. Dear Santa Claus, last year you didn't leave me anything good. (laughs) The year before, you didn't leave me anything good. This year is your last chance. (laughs) Alfred. Another one said this. Dear Santa, in my house there are three little boys. There is Richard. He is two. There's Jeffrey. He is four. There is Norman. He is seven. Richard is good sometime. Jeffrey is good sometime. Norman is good all the time. I am Norman. Yeah, you know, I don't don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking that both these boys were uh, bucking for some better presence, right? I mean, uh, Alfred, he was uh, thinking that uh, Santa had uh, been pretty slipshod over the last few years and uh, perhaps thought a threat uh, might uh, move him into to more generous giving. And Norman, well, Norman, you know, he was pulling out the trump card of good gifts for a child, which is good behavior. And uh, I suppose, you know, that's fairly natural far as I know, uh, just about everybody likes to receive a good gift for Christmas. I mean, I, I, I can't deny it. I always look forward to unwrapping the gift with, with my name on it. And I, and I know it's, it's true, and especially the older you get, the, the more joy you find in giving a good gift. I mean, there's nothing quite like watching uh, someone's face light up uh, from a gift that you've chosen for them, and, and they're so delighted in it. That's a great thing. I, I love doing that. But that doesn't change the fact that I also like the surprise of finding a good gift with my name on it. Now, imagine going home today and looking under the Christmas tree and seeing there a beautifully wrapped gift. The paper is just gorgeous. The bows and ribbons are a perfect accent and done beautifully. And there's a name card, name card on there, and and written in flowing calligraphy right after the to, it has your name on it. And where it says from, it says God. Now that'd be a pretty special gift, wouldn't it? I I suspect uh, you you know where I'm going with this. Uh, that, That gift has been given. It's there for you. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. The worship team's been reading some of the passages from there. I hope that this Christmas season uh, that you, either individually, uh, as a family, with friends, that you'll take time to read the entire Christmas account that is found in Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1. But this morning we're going to look at just a few verses uh, out of that account, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And as always, I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible as I would read it out loud. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says this. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Father God, we just uh, thank you so much for your word for the precious truths that it teaches us. God, we pray that this morning I would not hinder your message, but you would speak uh, through me as an instrument. Encourage and strengthen us. God, work in each person's heart that's here this morning to your goodwill and your good purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you take the message of uh, this paragraph... And, and distill it down to its base elements, you, you, you could put it into one simple four-word sentence. And that message would be, He is for you. I mean, if you break down all the elements uh, and come to the core message, that's what you would come up with. He, he is for you. It's simple and yet a very profound statement. And so this morning, as we draw near to Christmas Day, all I want to do is just take a, a look at that very simple statement and what it means. That's the message that the angels brought. And, and we're going to do that by uh, focusing on each individual word. And, and perhaps this is an exercise that you've done in school uh, before. Uh, you repeat the same sentence, but you put the emphasis on a different word to, to highlight one particular aspect of that. So in this case, you could say, he is for you, or he is for you, or he is for you, and finally, he is for you. That's, that's what we're going to do this morning, and, and we want to do that because, I mean, this message that the angels brought is, is for us as well, and, and the angel himself made that clear to us uh, in the opening statement of his proclamation that he was giving, right? Notice in verse 10, he starts by saying, I bring you good news of great joy. But then he makes it clear, I'm not just talking to you, this small group of shepherds. This isn't just good news for you guys. He goes on to say, which will be for all the people. And, and near as I can tell, we're part of all the people. So we want to understand the angel's message because it definitely applies to us as well. So let's take a look at it one word at a time. He is for you. He is for you. Who, who's the he in this statement? Well, again, we don't have to wonder. The angel made that abundantly clear for us in verse 11. It says, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In that one verse, there are three uh, different designations uh, or titles for who this baby is. And each one tells us something important uh, about this particular baby. Uh, the three uh, designations are Savior, Christ, and Lord. And, and we're going to take a look at all three of those, but not in the order they appear 
um, I, I want to explore the, the title Christ first, just because that's what I feel like doing. So, <laughs> to the Jews living at the time that Jesus was born, the title Christ was very full of meaning. Uh, completely different than today when, when I would guess the majority of people don't really have any idea what the word means and don't attach necessarily a special significance to it. I mean, uh, some people today uh, might actually think that Christ is just Jesus' last name, right? You know, you got Jesse Martin, you got Mike Pinnell, you got Jesus Christ. They, they think it's just the last name, right? Uh, but uh, that's not it at all. Christ is not a name. It is a title. The word Christ is the Greek translation of, of the Hebrew word Messiah. So wherever you come across the word Christ in the New Testament as you're reading that, you could insert the word Messiah there. It's Jesus the Messiah is doing this. Which, by the way, is if you ever come across a, a, a Jewish Christian, a Jewish believer, uh, they will often do that, right? They'll use the Hebrew term, Jesus the Messiah. Um, and, and that's why. Um, Jesus uh, Christ and Messiah are the same word, and, and what they mean if we were to translate that into English, is anointed one. That, that's what that word means, a, a anointed one. And, and um, it was a title that God used uh, uh, for many of his special servants throughout the Old Testament, but especially the kings. The kings were called God's anointed ones. They, they were used that way. And during the Old Testament time, there was a, many predictions given that there was going to come a specially anointed one who would then be the ruler and king and reign over Israel forever and ever. And this specially anointed one, this Christ, this Messiah, um, would, would reign, uh, uh, would free Israel and lead them into an era of, of, of perfect goodness for all eternity. And this person became known as the Messiah. You know, Messiah was used uh, for God's special servants, anointed ones, but this was the Messiah, the one who was going to come. And uh, he would be a king and reign in an age of everlasting glory and power and joy uh, for Israel. And it was not going to be just Israel. Through Israel, he would reign over all the world, all the earth. So this, this is the baby that the angel announced. This is the he in our sentence. He is for you. He is the promised coming Messiah, Christ anointed one, the prince of peace who would bring peace to all the earth. And we know from the rest of the New Testament, as, as you read through there, that this, this peace that is, that is going to come and, and be through all the earth will, will not happen and, and, and be accomplished until the end of, of times when evil is done away with and, and we get to enjoy, according to Second uh, Peter 3.13, new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Uh, but the king's peace is available to all believers right now. Jesus 
himself told his followers, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be fearful. Why, why would a heart be troubled? Why would a heart be fearful? Well, because in this world, we can face many hardships, difficult circumstances, trials, disappointments, hurts. We have periods of scary, uncertain futures. But Jesus says even in those circumstances, we can have His peace in our hearts. It's there for all who truly want it. So the first uh, designation uh, of this promised anointed one is that he is the king. But then the angel also tells us that he is savior. And if there's one thing that the Bible makes abundantly and absolutely 100% clear is the fact that we, meaning each and every one of us, we all need a Savior. If you're not certain about that, you can look throughout Scripture. Uh, Psalm 14.3 says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Or you could go to Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And if you're still not convinced, then go to Romans 3, 23, uh, 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. All of us. Even the, the nicest kindest, most morally upright person you can think of needs a Savior. We're all sinners. And as sinners, we justly fall under the righteous condemnation of a holy God. God has every right, and in fact, beyond that, a duty to condemn all sinners. Otherwise, he would not be a just God. I mean, could you imagine down here on earth a, a judge who, who would uh, just kind of wink his eye and say, oh, that's okay, and, and let criminals off uh, with, with no uh, penalty because, you know, generally they're pretty nice people. We would call for that judge's ouster right away, wouldn't we? There's no justice in that. And God is just. And therefore, he will condemn sin. And that means there would be no hope, no way out for us, except and unless God provided a Savior. And you have to admit, Saviors are really handy. I mean, most good movies, right, involve a savior of one sort or another, right? The poor damsel in distress is tied to the railroad tracks. The train 
whistle is clearly heard. You can feel the rumble coming down the track. It's rushing towards her, and she would surely be crushed when all of a sudden, Dudley Do-Right, the Savior, right, jumps out of the woods, subdues the villain, and frees the young maiden who happens to be single and pretty. That's just the way it works in movies. Um, Real life is even more treacherous than films, right? We're, We're all bound to the railroad tracks. Sin binds us down with humanly unbreakable cords. The train of hell and judgment is fast approaching. Unfortunately, there's no whistle to warn us about how close it is, about when our last breath might be. And what we desperately need as we're bound to the tracks is a Savior. Someone who can overcome the enemy, break the bonds of sin, and rescue us from certain death. And that's the good news that the angel proclaimed. There is a Savior for you. That's the He in our statement of He is for you. He, he is King and He is Savior. He's given one more title. He says He's also Lord because, you see, no mere man could be our Savior. Only God could pay the penalty of sin for the whole world. No mortal man could be king for all eternity. Only God is immortal. And so God humbled himself in the most incredible way by being born as a man for you and for me. That's the he in our statement, he is for you. Now, a second way to look at that statement is he is he is for you. Is will be a, a much simpler and, and, and quicker word to look at, but it's still important. I mean, some of you may remember a former president who seemed to have trouble uh, understanding what the word is uh, meant, but for most of us, it's pretty simple. If you're one of those people who loved English, memorized everything you were supposed to memorize, then you probably remember that technically speaking, is is the third person singular present indicative of the verb to be. I did not love English. Did not memorize that, so I had to look that up. But basically, is means that it, whatever uh, the is is referring to or talking about, that it exists, that it is real, it's actual, it's factual. If someone asks you the question, is that true? They're wanting to know that whatever it is you are talking about is, right, factual, in line with reality. Is it actual? Jesus Christ is actual and factual. He is for you. There's more extra biblical evidence for the real physical evidence existence of Jesus Christ than there is for Julius Caesar. Did you know that? So we can be confident that he really did exist in time and history. 
He was a real person who was born in a real place, backwater town of Bethlehem, born in a real stable, laid in a real manger as his very first bed, a feeding trough for animals. This is not a myth. It's not historical fiction. It's not an allegory to mean some other spiritual thing. It is historical fact. It's no fairy tale. It's no made-up story. His body, his life, were as real and actual as yours and mine. He is. He, he truly is. And the third statement says He is for you. The word for is used in a number of different ways. Two most common, it can be used uh, in terms of showing support, right? If I ask who are you voting for when an election comes, right? You know I'm wanting to know who it is you support or, or uh, stand for. If you are rooting for a certain team, that means you're cheering them on and hoping that they will achieve victory, right? You're supporting that particular team. And, and that is true um, that Jesus is for you in that sense, right? He, he's on your side. He, he wants to see you have victory. But that's not the meaning in this particular paragraph when the angel was talking to the shepherds. Because, see, when, when he proclaimed to them that uh, there has been born for you, for you, a Savior, he's using that word for in the sense of a gift that is available to you, something that belongs to you to you. Something that is for you has been given specifically to you. I mean, when a person comes up and plops down a gift in your lap, right, a lot of times you'll say, for me, right? Because you want to make sure that, that this belongs to you, that, that this is uh, meant for you. And so, you know, there's always a measure of disappointment when they say, oh, oh no, I was just hoping you could give that to so-and-so for me. <laughs> oh, bummer, man. It's not for me. It's for someone else. Right? We understand that's what the word for means. This gift, the one proclaimed by the angels and given by God, this, this is a gift for you. It's a gift that's already been given and no one can take it away. It's yours, and all you have to do is receive it. Isn't that great? A, a Savior. The thing that we most need has been given for you. He is for you. There's no mistake about it. It's written right here in black and white, which leads us, of course, to the final statement in, uh, word in that statement, right? He is... He's for you. He is he's for you. That's what the angel said. There has been born for you. Me. God did this 
for me. It's amazing, but some people seem to have a hard time believing that the gift of Jesus Christ could be for them. They might believe that Jesus and the grace and forgiveness that he brings is good enough for other people. But for my own sins, for my own failings, I, I must, I, I have to pay for them myself somehow. I got to, did you know that Jesus is for you? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your history, this is a gift that is for you. When, uh, when we give gifts at our house, we put little name tags on. I'm sure most everybody here does that, right? To Zachary, from mom and dad with love. as if God did that for us. Jesus is God's gift for you. So you can imagine a little name tag on there. The baby lying in a manger. A little tag that says to Annette. Stacy, to Jesse, from God, with love. It's a man healing the sick, touching the brokenhearted, preaching the kingdom, showing the way. It says to Ken. Wendy to Bruce from God with love while dying hanging on a cross carrying the burden of the sins of the world says to Beth, to Tom, to Ted, with love from God. You can put your own name in there because this is a personal gift from God to you. There's an old movie called Splash. Tom Hanks meets a mermaid there, played by Daryl Hannah in the movie. She doesn't know anything about life above water. But she tries living in New York City for a few days. And one day, Tom Hanks 
gives her a gift, a box with a ribbon and a, a, around it and a bow on top. And he holds it out to her and he says, I got something for you. And she grabs the box, looks at it adoringly and lovingly. And she says, it's beautiful. I love it. And sets it down in her lap. Tom looks at her for a bit and then goes, uh, no, you open it. And she said, there's more? Celebrating Jesus as a baby who came in a manger, which so many people seem to do this time of year, is kind of like holding the box and thinking that that's all there is to the gift. But there's more. You see, when we accept that this baby grew to a man, living a life of sinless perfection, and yet choosing to willingly go to the cross to bear your sins, my sins, all of our sins, die a painful death, be buried, be raised to new life on the third day. When we accept that, that's when we receive the true gift that God has given. And in fact, unless you accept Him and let Him live in your heart as Savior, as King, and as Lord, then this gift really has no value for you. It must be received, open, and taken in. And the awesome truth about receiving the gift of Jesus Christ is there's always more. There's more? Yeah, because He's with you day after day. He changes your destiny and eternity. He loves you. He supports you. He guides you. He is for you. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ. Help us not to gloss over what that means. Help us not to think of Jesus simply as a baby in a manger, but as Savior, King, and Lord, who is for us. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has never received this gift, that today would be the day. That even now in their hearts, they would simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe. Forgive my sins come into my life. 
I'm following you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.